the Shoreshim Podcast, shining a light to the nations. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Cloud, and I want to welcome you once again to our weekly Torah Tidbit. This is where we highlight a particular theme from the week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion, or Torah tidbit, I should say, is taken from the Torah portion that's called Beshalach. And Beshalach is a Hebrew word that means sent out. This Torah portion covers Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, through chapter 17, verse 16. But our theme that we're taking from this Torah portion, we're calling Consider the Lilies. Now, in this Torah portion, Israel leaves Egypt with a high hand, the Bible says, and in orderly ranks, meaning then that Israel didn't depart from Egypt in some chaotic or panicked way, as many of us suppose, but actually as if an army was going forth, parading out of Egypt, carrying the spoils of their victory. However, as we soon see, it didn't take long for this army to revert back to their old ways, that is, thinking and behaving as slaves. Furthermore, we see that being led through the wilderness, the people of Israel were placed in a position where they would have to rely completely upon God, where before we could argue they had relied somewhat on Pharaoh. In the wilderness, it would require constant miracles in order for them to survive. Who's going to provide food, water, all these things? One of the interesting points regarding the wilderness experience that I've often shared with people through the years is, uh, well, it has something to do with the Hebrew word for wilderness, which is the word midbar. And that word is spelled mem dalit bet resh. But that same spelling can also be pronounced midaber, which means to speak. And so here's the point. By taking them through the wilderness, God put them in a place where they would need to hear Him when He spoke and then take to heart what He said. Because in this way, it would become very evident that God was always in control, completely. And so the journey through the wilderness would also show that God was interested in and involved with the daily affairs of of their life as it is with us, not just the dramatic events like the Exodus itself or the splitting of the sea, but we see that God is also very concerned about the intricate details of our life, what we eat, what we drink, whether or not we're healthy. I believe for most people it's easy to comprehend that God created the universe or that He can divide the sea if He wants to, but sometimes it's difficult for us to grasp that That same God cares about the smallest details of our life, especially our daily mundane issues like food, water. So I don't think that we should be surprised to see that the very people who witnessed God's power being poured out on Egypt and the plagues and who witnessed the dividing of the sea were also the very ones who tested Him when they became thirsty at a place called Mara which means bitter water. And then, of course, after the events of Mara, they complained that there was no food for them in the wilderness, uh, wilderness of Zin. In fact, they claimed at that point that they were better off in Egyptian slavery than to go hungry in the desert. Remembering how Pharaoh had given them plenty to eat, 
although very conveniently forgetting the mud pits and the hard labor. It's our nature that when things get difficult, we fall back on what we know and on what seems familiar to us because that requires no faith on our part. Some people will even go so far as to take a position that by trusting in God, which of course would include doing what he says, doing what's right in his eyes, living according to his instructions, to do that, it impedes life. In fact, sometimes it even stands in the way of a livelihood. But in this Torah portion, we see that the blessing of the manna refutes that particular position. Because when his people acknowledge his sovereignty and they live accordingly, he makes sure that there is plenty. The manna was provided for them every day for 40 years without fail. In sharp contrast to that, they only saw the sea divided on one occasion. Our walk of faith, represented by the walk of faith that Israel took through the wilderness, it began when God told them to go away that no one was expecting to go. Perhaps that would even include Moses. Moses knew that they were heading to Sinai, and he knew the way. He'd been there before. However, that's not the way that God told them to go. He told them in Exodus chapter 14 that they should turn. And I believe it's the same with us sometimes. He tells us to turn and and go to a place that we're not expecting. For Israel, it was a place called, in Hebrew, Pehachirot, which means the mouth of the gorges which then suggests that they had to travel through a gorge, or in that part of the world, a wadi. And this particular gorge would open up at a mouth, and that would place them next to the sea. So telling them to take this detour and turn and travel through a gorge would have been odd considering that there were about two to three million people who had to traverse this gorge. They would be squeezed into this gorge, so to speak, as they made their way to the sea, which, by the way, was an impassable obstacle. So what human in their right mind would choose this path? No one, but God would. Because the picture is almost like a child traveling through the birth canal, which would be the gorge. They have to pass through this straight and narrow path until they're finally delivered and born. Of course, there's the sea that they're going to have to contend with, which God just very quickly divided, which brings up an interesting point. The root word that's used in the text to divide means to open up and give forth. And it's sometimes translated as to rend, to break forth, to burst open, to breach, even hatch. The idea then here is that when the waters divided, it allowed for something to break forth. And if the wadi or the gorge was the birth canal, The splitting of the sea was the water breaking, and this allowed his son, Israel, to come out of Egypt and separate from the cord that is the bonds of Egyptian slavery. And thus it's written for us in Hosea chapter 11. Out of Egypt I called my son. The point of all this is to highlight this particular fact. The path that God led them on was the only path that led to life, although at the time they couldn't realize it. Through this event, God also intended to demonstrate to his people that he was in control, always 
and completely. You see, he didn't deliver them from Pharaoh in Egypt just to let them die at his hands in the wilderness. Now, there's an interesting sidebar that some Jewish commentators suggest that Pihahirot, the mouth of the gorges, actually means the mouth of freedom. To get there, they had to go away. They didn't expect to travel. But now, let's bring it back to this point. As great and awe-inspiring an event that that certainly was, as I mentioned earlier, they only saw that happen one time. They still had to walk through the wilderness, and they did so with only what they could bring from Egypt on their carts and in their packs. And so then, to demonstrate that he has everything in control, he fed them manna, this bread that came from heaven, according to Exodus chapter 16, which says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots, and we ate bread to the full. For you, Moses, Aaron, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The same people who saw these miracles before are now grumbling. The ones who saw the sea divided couldn't believe God for a small miracle. It's almost inconceivable that they would think this way. Now, we're not going to ignore the fact that they were in a very difficult situation. It was a very difficult journey. Yet, why couldn't they believe God to provide food and water if he could open up a sea? Now, we would like to think that had we been there, we would have been the emblem of unwavering faith. I tend to believe that we're not much different than those people. We're pretty much the same. We can believe that God orchestrates events that affect the world, but we have the hardest time believing that He's able to take care of our daily needs. And so then, I think it would be wise if we all took to heart what Paul wrote to the Corinthians so long ago when he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We must not put Messiah to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, it says that they longed for the meat pots, or the flesh pots of Egypt in slavery. In other words, they got to the point that they longed for what Pharaoh gave them to eat, meaning, it seems, they were comparing God's provision with what Pharaoh was able to provide. Now, as we said, the Lord provided for them each day, of course, with the, accept, uh, with the exception of Shabbat, and He gave them what they needed but he didn't necessarily give them what they wanted. Not only did he provide them with their daily bread, but was also proving them whether they would obey his law or not. And this is what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you shall remember the whole way 
that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, that, and then he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And here's the reason, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. By the way, that word for hunger is the word famine. And so he allowed them to experience this. Sometimes God allows difficulty to come our way to see what's in our heart. Will we obey him? Will we trust him anyway? Because as Israel should have known, the one who delivers you from bondage, who can open a sea for you so that you can walk through on dry land, can certainly figure out how to provide for you your daily bread. But will we love him enough? Will we trust him enough to live in the way that he has prescribed for us as evidence that we do believe that? So all these things that happened to Israel are a lesson for you and me. And so with that in mind, I want to leave you with something that Yeshua said that's related to our topic in Luke chapter 12. He said this, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you O you of little faith, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So then, ladies and gentlemen, as we leave you, the thought for today is, in our Torah tidbit, consider the lilies. Consider something so simplistic, so commonplace, a lot of times we don't even pay it any mind. But God tends to those little, small details of His creation. And the smallest of details in our life, He will tend to as well, if we will trust Him, if we will believe Him, because he is the one who put us here in the first place for a reason, and He wants us to fulfill that purpose. So anyway, that's today's or this week's Tour Tidbit. Thank you for joining us, and I hope to see you next time. Shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.